G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is study 26, drawn from Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 38. They concern the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the age. First, some introduction. A quick Google shows nine occasions in which there was a major siege and capture of Jerusalem. Between that by the Babylonians in 586 BC to one by the British in AD 1917. This chapter is very similar to Mark 13 and Matthew 24. Many think Mark's Gospel is a major source of Luke's information. Matthew 24, in particular, is worth reading to note the additional information it contains. These chapters are concerned with Jesus' prophecies of the siege and sack of Jerusalem in AD 70, which turned out to be a very important event in the history of the people of God, Jews and Christians. This was carried out by the Romans. In reaction to a rebellion of the Jews against the Roman Empire about 40 years after the death of Jesus, probably about the time Luke wrote this Gospel. But these are notoriously difficult chapters to understand, mainly because the prophecies of the fall of Jerusalem act in part as a foreshadowing and illustration of what is still to happen at the end of the age. The fall of Jerusalem was immediately catastrophic for the Jews, but even more important for the Christians who understood it to be the final act of the Old Testament ways to relate to God, clearing the way for the kingdom age introduced by Jesus. Even the phrase, end of the age, is difficult. Some argue that from the perspective of a Jew in AD 60, that would have meant the end of their life society and culture, which did indeed occur in AD 70, landing them into a totally different situation. However, the phrase seems to have at least some reference to the day of the Lord, the final day of this world, which is still in front of us nearly 2,000 years later. We're going to read all these verses, and I will reread bits of the account as I refer to it. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must first happen but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, 
and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night 
on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. We might well say, wow, that is quite a story. Question one. Which of the following verses, which I will read with a short pause after each of them, is about the fall of Jerusalem? Which is about the end of the age? And which cannot be clearly assigned solely to either of these? First of all, then, these verses. As for what you see here, Jesus said, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That one, surely, is about the fall of Jerusalem. And now this. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Very hard to say what that one refers to. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That would seem to refer to the end of this world. And finally, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And that does sound again like the fall of Jerusalem. So you'll see something of the difficulty of being sure what it is that these verses refer to. The fall of Jerusalem was horrendous by any standards. According to Josephus, a Jewish historian working for the Romans, about one million... 100,000 people were killed. He is actually known to exaggerate. Many because different factions of the Jews fought each other within the walls, while the Romans watched in amazement from outside. The temple was then totally destroyed by the Romans, but the city did continue for a further 65 years until AD 135, when a further revolt so infuriated Hadrian, the emperor at that time, that he had the city completely razed to the ground and rebuilt as a Roman city called Aelia Capitolina. Question 2. Is there any reason to think that the problems that we read about in some of these verses, here they are, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened, these things must happen first, but the end will come right away. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Is there any reason to think that the problems described there were any worse in the first century than previously, or are any worse in our present 21st century?
a matter of opinion, but I don't think there is much difference. With the vast improvement in communication technology, we now know far more about what is happening on the other side of the world than used to be possible. I'm going to read some verses from Daniel 7. The hearers of Jesus will have known this prophecy of Daniel well. As I read, think of your answer to this question 3. What will those who listen to Jesus have understood him to mean by the reference to the Son of Man in these verses? In particular, what encouragement will they have got from what he said? Now I'm going to read those verses in Daniel. Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dreams. Daniel said, In in my visions at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. And then some more verses. After that in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was the fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints, and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. 
And finally, this verse. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Reading that, understanding that, hearing that, in the first century, have understood those things. Perhaps I should add in that the iron beast uh, they would probably have equated with the Roman Empire uh, for reasons of which we can't go into now. They will have been encouraged, not only by the promise that the Son of Man, whom they will have reckoned must be Jesus, would return in great power and glory, but that that figure in Daniel is representative of the people of God. They will have taken this to mean that their position would improve greatly in the age to come. Question 4. What encouragement should persecuted Christians in one of the difficult countries of the world get from what Jesus said and what they can read in the prophecy of Daniel? There are many disturbing things said, but they will also realise that there are glimmers of light. Jesus talked about the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, your redemption drawing near, and the kingdom of God is near. In the prophecy of Daniel, the Son of Man is given authority, glory and sovereign power over all mankind. It is stated that his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, that will never be destroyed and all the kingdoms of the world will be handed over to the people of the Most High. Those things do not have to be very literally fulfilled to be truly exciting for all of us who follow Jesus. Question 5. If on the other hand we are in one of the easier countries in the world to be a Christian, what encouragement should we get from this chapter? Where we live in England must count as one of the easiest countries of the world for Christians, but we are surrounded by a sea of apathy towards anything Christian or even religious. It is clear from these passages that apathy will not be an option at the time of the end. It is strange that Paul does not use what Mark records in Mark chapter 13, where he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Question 6. What are the motives of those who ignore those verses 
and make confident but erroneous predictions of what is going to happen and when. How should we react to such things? Their motives are not good. It makes someone sound very knowledgeable and have a wonderfully deep understanding of the Bible if they say the Lord will come this year or next year or whenever. Jesus said he did not know. It is a terrible arrogance to pretend to know more than he did. We should ignore people who do that. It is tempting to say, laugh and pass on, but they can do great damage to simple people. I remember a young man asking me what the point was of him continuing his studies at university when a visiting preacher said Jesus would be coming next year. And that was about 1984. Being a university student, he should not have been that simple-minded. But he was. Be careful. Be watchful. Prepare for Jesus to come again. But we don't know when he will do so. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.